<laughs> How many of you have ever bribed your children to try to help them to act a certain way when they were at school or at church or out in this, this public place where you just have to take them and you'd rather not? Right? I remember lots of times when I was a kid, I was, I was bribed. It wasn't, it wasn't the things that I would get when I get home, but I was told that if I didn't behave, there were things that I would get when I got home. Right? Isn't it interesting? We watch our kids. Every one of these kids, just lovely, wonderful kids. But isn't it interesting how they forget the things that we tell them? And sometimes it drives us crazy, doesn't it? How many times do I have to tell you, pick up your socks? I mean, and, and sometimes they, they say, well, I forgot. And we say, right. Yeah. You forgot again, didn't you? I've only been doing this for four years now. But we know that sometimes we do forget. There are things that you forget to do that I, have any of you ever backed into something in your driveway that you just walked right past 30 seconds before? Have you done that? Like, rant, no, Steve never did. He's a professionally licensed coach driver, so of course not. But I mean, those of us who are normal people, have you ever backed over something? You said, oh, I forgot that was there. I remember when one time, I'm not going to tell that story. Because we all forget, don't we? We all have those stories. Or things that you forgot to do. Or that assignment that... Maybe you could have made a note better, or maybe you could have written it in your calendar more clearly, or maybe you could have been more responsible, but have you ever forgotten? And if you have dreams like that, you show up in your high school class and you forgot there was a test, some of you still have those nightmares, don't you? Right? Why? Because we forget. This is part of what we are. Our minds, no matter how we train them, our minds forget. There are a few people, I'm told, there are a few people in the world who have those things called photographic memories. And they seem to be able to retain just every conversation, everything they see and hear and feel, and they have this catalog that runs in their mind. Those people, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, because frankly, there are things I've forgotten that I'm glad I don't think about anymore. But for most of us, our normal situation is that we forget things. Sometimes even the things that are real. Any of you ever forget to pick up your kids or your spouse at a time or a place where you were supposed to pick them up, right? They're, oh, they're at practice, or, oh, that's right, the car's in the shop. And if you forget, yeah, see, we do this all the time, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. He knew that, that his disciples and his followers would even be tempted to forget him, or maybe not even tempted to forget him. That feels like it's an act of volition. He knew that because of life and because of their limitations, his disciples might forget him. So what did he do? He took something that was very common, that was going to be in their lives certainly more than once a quarter. He took some bread and he took some wine, which would have been their normal, almost everyday kind of a meal. And he said, when you do this, remember me. This is one of the reasons why We've made it a priority in our house. Whenever we eat, we, we take a moment to pray. Not just out of habit, but as we take in our daily bread, we remember, how many of you have cultivated the same kind of thing, right? Because we know that we're supposed to remember Jesus and we know how easy it is to forget. We forget because we are 
forgetful creatures. I, twice in the last three years, I hid a Christmas gift for Melanie in the same drawer in my dresser, and I forgot it until January. Went back to that drawer, and oh, once it was a really neat little pair of earrings, and it was like the main gift. <laughs> and then I did it again a couple of years later. What happens to us? Well, we're human. And Jesus says, remember me. But it's not just that we're forgetful. Sometimes we forget because our emotions crowd out the truth of what we're trying to remember. Very interestingly, 24 hours ago, there was a congregation of people gathered in this room, and instead of where the communion table sits, there was a casket. And that casket held the dead body of one of our brothers who no longer needs that body. And I've used all those words very carefully and intentionally. We had a funeral yesterday for Marvin Garris. And right in the same spot where we just now remembered the life that Jesus gave us, right in this spot was a dead body that reminded us of the life that Jesus gives us. But yet those are very different sets of emotions, aren't they? And yesterday, we had 150 people or so in this room for that funeral, and there were a lot of emotions there. It's a privilege that I know may be rare, but I get to stand in front of gatherings like you all and see all of your faces, even though many of you just see the back of heads. If any of you would like the opportunity, it might be interesting for you to be able to sit in some of these chairs on a Sunday morning just to see what, to see what you see. But yesterday at the funeral, there were all kinds of emotions, even people with conflicted emotions, people who were weeping, even though they had the deepest faith and belief that Marvin is in heaven right now, feeling no pain at all. And, and yet their own emotions were stirred up in such a way that, that caused tears of grief in that moment. And we can relate to that, can't we? There were others in the room who were a bit more stoic, there were others who were sitting and smiling as they sang the songs of the funeral and as they prayed the prayers and as they listened to different people. They sat there emoting joy. How many of you have recognized that sometimes our emotions are not what we think they ought to be? They're not what we want them to be? They're not what we expect them to be, but our emotions come in, don't they? This is another part of being human. Uh, for most of us, there are some who are able to control or at least conceal their feelings in such a way that others of us might marvel at or wonder about. But emotion is part of being human. It's one of those little reminders that we are created differently than the animals. God gave us this whole array of emotions so that we might have even more avenues with which to connect with our Lord. But just like we all forget, we all have feelings, and, and that swirl of emotions can be disorienting. It can make us forget about God and Jesus. Sometimes our emotions can make us forget about joy and forget about the hope that we have in heaven. And so we come back to the communion table and we say, yes, we do need to remember Jesus. And we ought to do it at every meal, with every chew and every sip because we forget and because we hurt. 
But we also have an enemy, the devil. I, I mean, our own weakness, our own inability to, to, to focus on the things that, that ought to have our focus, that, that's enough to get many of us off track. But on top of that, we have an enemy, the devil. In John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking to a group of folks who were opposing him. And he said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Here's what Jesus said about the devil. He said that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is Jesus speaking about Satan. Jesus says that he himself is the way and the truth and the life. That's John 14, verse 6. But Satan instead is the father of lies, and Satan does everything in his power to distract and discourage and draw us away from the true king of kings. Jesus tells us and told us that the kingdom of heaven has come near, but we have an enemy, and the enemy is working hard to establish his own kingdom of darkness. And so we find ourselves pawns in this battle. And it takes focus and determination to stay plugged in to the truth. The, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, in the book of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, and Paul is talking about himself and all those who believe powerfully in Jesus Christ. He said, on the contrary, the weapons that we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul said that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We forget things and our emotions come in and cloud and crowd things out. And our enemy, the devil, tries to kill and steal and destroy. But we are reminded that God has given us weapons to be able to overcome. We can demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? That's a place where Satan has gotten in and where his lies have become the rule of the day. Instead of God's truth bringing light, Satan's lies bring darkness and death. We are not, we are not at Satan's mercy because the one who lives in us, Jesus Christ, is more powerful than Satan. Remember, Satan is not an equal to God. Satan was just one of the angels that God created, but having the ability to choose how he would live, Satan turned against the Lord. And now for reasons that only God understands, there is this era of time within which we live where Satan is allowed to still cause trouble. And we find ourselves often to be collateral damage in that battle that Satan, that losing battle that Satan is fighting against our Lord. But here we are, and we forget, and our emotions cloud in, and the enemy whispers things to us and shows us ideas and gives us images that, that distract our brains. And Jesus says, remember me. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. This passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that I'd like to take just a minute on with you now. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament, okay? Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. What Deuteronomy is recording and, and what's been happening is that Moses, uh, just about, oh, what are we, 3,500 years ago, Moses had been up on the mountain with the Lord, and Moses was the leader of God's people on earth, the Israelites, and God gave to Moses the law that the Israelites should live by. From that law, we get the Ten Commandments. 
But Deuteronomy is a, a catalog of all of that law. And in Deuteronomy 30, this is near the end, and at this time that this is being delivered, Moses is an old man. But Moses said this to the gathered people of God. Actually, I'm going to back up one verse. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Moses said, There are secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So what Moses is saying is there are things that God alone knows, but God has given his law, God has shown a way to live, and those things can be trusted, passed along to the children forever. Now, Jesus has some things to say about exactly how those things ought to be lived out, but I think it's very interesting the attitude with which this word was delivered. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. Here's what Moses said to the people. He said, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Now remember, what he had delivered was the entire Levitical Old Testament law. He went on and said, it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? And he continued, he said, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what Jesus said 1,500 years later when he arrived and he said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says, I'm not far away that you have to go hunt for me. I'm not across the seas that you have to hop on a boat. He says, no, I am here now. Really an echo of Deuteronomy 30, isn't it? And so here is what Moses said, and I know I'm bouncing back and forth throughout the millennia, but early on, Moses said to God's people, he said in verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Church, how many of you have noticed that when you follow God with all your heart and when you live for him, it doesn't make all your problems go away, but have you recognized that there are blessings upon you and your house when you follow after the Lord? And there are so many challenges and frustrations that we avoid when we walk with the Lord. But Moses knew what happened with people. God knew what happened with people. So Deuteronomy 30 verse 17 says, but... Though I have shown you life, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses delivered that speech, that encouragement, that plea to the children of Israel. He said, you've got a choice before you. Follow God and live, or turn from the Lord and be destroyed. Jesus, 1,500 years later, came as the Savior, not just for these people, but for all who will believe in him. And Jesus says, you have a choice before you. Choose me and live. I am the gate. How many other places I am the way, the truth, and the life? 
I and the Father are one. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the one. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am life. Choose me. And if you will not, there is destruction when eternal judgment comes. 3,500 years ago, Moses says, choose life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus says, choose me choose life. And every time we come to the table, we remember that we are choosing Jesus, choosing life, despite the fact that we forget, despite the fact that our emotions crowd in, and despite the fact that we have an enemy that likes to erode our confidence away. Let me give you an example quickly here as we wrap up. This is not going to get the time that it ought to. I may come back to this in the future. But today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Nationally, that's something that many people have recognized as a day to, uh, to specifically pray that abortions would end. Okay? Now, I haven't preached much about abortion over the years because, frankly, it feels like preaching to the choir. You know that abortion is wrong. You know the value of adoption and the value of life. And you know, congregation, because I've seen this in you over and over. And I, I, know, I know there are some of you in the room who are still new or figuring this out. And maybe this is your first time here. You don't know what this place is like. So, so when I say you all, I, I know that I'm making a generalization. But I make that generalization because I know so many of you so well. And I haven't heard any of you speak contrary to what I'm going to say. That's why I say, you know abortion is wrong. You know the value of adoption. You know that we must be supporting those who are dealing with pregnancies that they don't feel ready for, no matter the situation. And I know you know this because as a church, we continue to decide to support places like Cornerstone Medical Center each year. This year in April, Cornerstone Medical Center, which is an organization that functions as a pregnancy center to work against abortion and provide counseling and ultrasound exams for women and, and their partners who, who may be experiencing pregnancy? That doesn't, I mean, what's, what's the father doing? He's not pregnant, or is he? I apologize for the odd way of saying that. But we support Cornerstone Medical Centers because their, their goal is to show everyone that what's inside of you is not just some pile of flesh that you get to decide about as if you're clipping off a hangnail. What is inside of a pregnant woman is a life. And so Cornerstone has, has ultrasound machines so that they can show the fingers and the toes and the heartbeats that come so much earlier than what most people assume. And what we've learned through Cornerstone Medical Centers and, and from them is that when people see that ultrasound of their child, what they begin to realize in a way that they hadn't tried to think about before was that indeed inside of them was a child. But what do the lies of the devil say? Well, it's not your child. It's, it's just your choice, right? Now listen, there are some of you who have had abortions and I hope you know and understand that while having an abortion is a sin, there is forgiveness for every sin that we humans might commit. So it's not as if, it's not as if a bad choice at one point in life has disqualified from you from God for the rest of your life. No, no. There is forgiveness and there is reconciliation and there is healing available for all who turn to the Lord, no matter, no matter what sin has been committed. 
But do you see what's happening in the world around us, especially here in our American setting? We support Cornerstone Medical Centers and, and, and just a, a little, bit, little bit of business. I know some of you don't know. We're going to give them $9,430 in April. Why? Why do we do that? Well, number one, because they work at that whole abortion thing better than most of us know how to. So we want to support those who know what they're doing. Okay? But here's what happens at Waterway Church. This is a little bit of how we do our business. Every year at the end of the year, we look back at the total offerings. So here this last couple of weeks, our finance team looked back. What were all of the offerings that were given in 2022? We take that total amount and we figure out what 25% of that is. What's one quarter of all of our offerings? And then for the year ahead, we give away a quarter of the amount of money that we brought in last year. And that 25% is divided up this way. We have 12 different organizations, one every month, and they divide up 20% of last year's number of income. And then we have some missionaries, and they, they divide up 5% of whatever money we would have made last year. That's how we do our mission support. So that a quarter of all the money that is ever put into our box goes right back out to people doing the work of God. One of those groups is Cornerstone Medical Centers, and we love to support them. You do too, and you decide every year. They are on the front lines, and our dollars and efforts go furthest when we partner with them. There's no need for us to recreate the wheel. So I haven't felt the need to pound that drum that abortion is wrong. I, you already know this. But again, isn't it fascinating how this issue gets talked about in public and in the halls of government? We have, at least I remember in earlier years of my life when it was framed out, it was framed as pro-life versus pro-choice because who wants to be on the pro-death side of things, right? And so what does Satan do, the father of lies? Let's spin it. Pro-life and pro-choice because who's going to be against choices? Right, in, in America, I mean, we want to choose. But isn't, don't these words matter? Right? Can't you see how this is happening? Lately, have you heard the frame, a, a, a woman's right to choose? Well, for many people, there are a lot of choices that can be made. But to kill another life should never be one of them. Now, I hear people saying, well, it's my body and it's my choice. I want to say, no, it's not. That's not your body in there. That's another human being that God has created. You don't get to choose to end that because it's inconvenient, because you didn't plan for it, because you're not ready for it. Nobody's ever ready for another baby. I want to be careful not to get into, into all of that because there's a lot of that. But can you hear the lies? Can you hear the distortion? Jesus says, remember me because we forget because, because our emotions come upon us and because Satan, the father of lies, works in so many different realms and so many different areas to try to take us away from the truth. But church, when we take communion, we remember him. When we read the scripture, we're, we're reminded that we don't just fight with weapons of this world. No, we have, we have divine power from God to demolish strongholds. And we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. But we must continue to remember Jesus and all of that. Or else we'll just kind of go with the flow and find ourselves a bit further downstream and saying, where did the days go? God is our king. We are the people of his kingdom. 
We live the way he guides us to live. We speak and think the way he guides us to speak and think, even in our forgetfulness, even in our pain, and even in the face of an enemy whose lies are tempting to believe. Church, will you continue to choose life? In all the different areas of life where life must be chosen, will you continue to choose life? God, give us strength to follow after you. God, give us strength to continue to combat the the evil and the arguments and every pretension set up against you. God, give us strength and wisdom to know which battles to pick and which ones to walk away from. And God, please work in our hearts and our minds and our wills and our bodies so that we can remember you no matter what's happening around us, no matter what Satan might be scheming against us. Thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have today to gather together and to remind each other. Help us to do it even more as the day of your judgment approaches. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, whom we remember today as our Savior. Together, all of God's people say, amen, amen. Church, would you stand up?